This is Jason Martinez from Flyers Daily, and you're listening to the Flyered Up Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Florida Podcast. I'm your host, Amadeo Grassi, along my co-host, Chris Mayer. As always, Tyson Quibel has joined us after a while. And we are joined by Flyers insider, Charlie O'Connor. We are live streaming always on the Painted Lines, Flyers Fan Mania 93, and Sports. And for people who can't tune into this live, it'll always be on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts at so, Charlie, first time being on the Florida podcast. How are you doing today, and how are you feeling? I, I am pumped to be on the, the Florida podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> and we uh, we thank you for joining us first time. And just, I guess, to uh, get everything going, we're, we're going to try to do half of this, go around an hour maybe, go half Flyers, half playoffs, since the playoffs do start tomorrow. And that is very exciting, but it also sucks that our Flyers aren't in the playoff picture because of the nightmare season that we just had. So speaking of that nightmare season, Charlie, just what are your thoughts overall on the Flyers team right now? Just the the expectations that they had to going into this season and just at how everything just went completely wrong. Well, I mean, my thoughts aren't exactly positive at the moment. You know, <laughs> this season was, was obviously one where, um, you know, I think I described it before the season started as something of a prove it season. You know, obviously the 2019, 2020 season, it wasn't perfect. You know, they didn't win a championship, but it seemed like they took a pretty clear step forward. And there were a lot of people who understandably were not ready to fully jump on board until the flyers broke that, you know, one good year, one bad year streak. And it really looked like after 2019, 2020, that they had built themselves a solid foundation, you know, they had the coaching staff, at least they had the coach that, at the top, who is a proven guy, um, you know, proven winner in this league. So you had that stability there. And really, for the first time in close to a decade, they were a win now team. You know, they were not in the Hextall era where they were like half in, half out. You know, they had built a roster that, you know, obviously Ron Hextall during that year wasn't going to come out and say that I don't expect this team to, you know, win playoff series. But let's be realistic here with the guys he was throwing out there on defense. He knew that team probably wasn't going to win much in the playoffs. This was a team that you looked at it. You're like, OK, they can roll four lines. You know, yeah, there's a there's a big hole on defense, you know, with the loss of Matt Niskanen to retirement. But I think the way the Flyers looked at it going into the year is we have enough talent that we can make it through the first two thirds of the season with our defense. We'll go out of the trade deadline. We'll get a big name, you know, to fill that last that last spot. We'll still be in the playoff mix. Then we'll start rolling and we'll hit the playoffs and see if we can do some damage. And it just never really came together for them. And and I think the you know kind of the saddest part about the season isn't even you know necessarily what happened on the ice. It's what this season did to the fan base because it's been so long since I think the fans had like real hope that the team could do something special. 
And I think a lot of people allowed themselves to dream that this year could be special. And then the rug just got pulled out from under them. And now you have a fan base that's like, they're very mad, but I think they're mad because in a sense they feel betrayed because this team was supposed to be so much better. And now it's like, how can I even go about starting to trust this team again, unless they do major things this summer, because this was supposed to be a good team. And instead this was one of the hardest seasons to watch in a long time. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that standpoint. This is, we can open it up to questions from either Chris Tyson or for people that are in the chat right now, but I'm going to throw you one of this question, Charlie, just going back on that anger from the fan base. Like, do you think all the anger from the fan base fan base could be like maybe a stiff, like a little bit of reaction, maybe like some fans are preaching for like things that are just impossible to do. Or do you think majority of the anger is justified and some fans can't, you can understand the anger from this fan base right now. I mean, if if people think they're gonna, you know, like one one thing I've heard a couple of people suggest is, well, why don't we why don't we work at a deal with Seattle where they take our entire roster and we do the expansion draft for them? So yes, like there are some things that are completely unrealistic. That said, you know, one thing I will say is that if you're going to, if as a front office you're going to do essentially nothing to change the team over an entire year. I understand why people are going over the top in terms of what they're asking for, because it's like, well, if we ask for you to, to flip 12 players on the team, maybe you'll flip four because last offseason we were asking you to flip maybe one or two and you did nothing with the exception of signing Eric Gustafson. So I, I sort of get the feeling from the fan base of like, well, let's shoot for the moon in terms of what we're hoping for, because then maybe we'll get a little bit of it because they tried being reasonable last offseason and they got absolutely nothing. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, throw it, I'll throw it over to Tyson and Chris. We can go to you. Yeah, I think I was just going to say, I think some of the frustration as well was it seemed to be that was why Chuck Fletcher was brought mm -hmm. in versus Ron Hextall was Fletcher's ability to make trades quickly and make risky ones and, and not be afraid to maybe even trade some a few younger players or prospects, perhaps even uh, in the Flyers pretty big deep base to kind of make moves. So like, how do you do you think Fletcher this off season in particular is going to start addressing some of those things like more aggressively, like he did in his first off season? So I definitely think he's going to try. Like, I absolutely believe there's, there's real urgency. I don't know if there was real urgency last off season. Like, I think they, I think they definitely wanted to get someone to fill the Matt Niskanen hole. Like it wasn't yeah. that it wasn't that they didn't want to, but there's a difference between wanting to and having real serious urgency to do so. Because I think mm -hmm. Fletcher looked at it and he was like, okay, I believe in Ivan Proveroff. I believe in Travis Sanheim. I believe in Phil Myers. I have three-fourths of a top four. I have one glaring spot that's open. I think those three guys are good enough. And then, you know, our fourth guy will be Justin Braun, maybe Shane Gossespierre. It's good enough to get us through, and then we can do our big ad at the deadline. So even though he wanted to fill it, he was like, well, I can wait. You know, I can afford to wait. And that because he had that belief, it cut down on the urgency that he needed to actually go out there and make a move. Because my understanding is like if they were going to make a move to get a top four defenseman last offseason, they probably would have like, quote unquote, lost the trade or lost the sequence of events that would have that would have, you know, led to a trade or a free agency signing because you know they would have had to trade away a current roster player for peanuts to fit that player or traded away a really good roster player to get that player and you know have a trade where everybody online is like that's a terrible trade we gave up too much 
that's the kind of trade you have to make when you have urgency because it's like look i don't care if we're like if we're trading away a guy who's an 88 on the ea nhl scale for a guy who's 82 we're trying to fill a need we're okay with losing the deal because this need has to be filled i don't think there was that urgency last summer or last fall i guess it wasn't a summer when the offseason happened i don't think that urgency existed i think that urgency exists now so that's why i think it's more likely that there's going to be moves that said and this is a point that i've made in a bunch of my columns it's totally fair for the fans to look at what happened the last year the total real inactivity on the part of the front office and acknowledge that like part of the reason for that inactivity is that it's a flat cap era. You know, we're stuck at 81.5 million as a ceiling. GMs don't want to take on big salaries because of the flat cap. There's the expansion draft coming. There's a lot of reasons why it was hard for Chuck Fletcher to make a move. And there's total reason for the fan base to be like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like you can tell me you want to make moves and that's great. And, but, but talk is cheap. You know, you got to actually make the move to prove to me you're going to make the move. And until you do, I'm going to doubt that you're able to do it. And it's not going to be easy for him to make moves. Like it might be a little easier after the expansion draft because then teams, you know, are more focused on their rosters and not necessarily focused on who they're going to lose for nothing. But it's going to be tough. And while I think Fletcher has the urgency and he wants to make moves, and I think more likely than not moves are going to be made, it's, it's a tough enough environment in the NHL right now in terms of making big moves that I could plausibly see that not happening. And if that doesn't happen, then people are really going to lose their minds. Yeah, and Chris, we'll throw it to you. you. have any questions for Charlie? Yeah, Charlie, I was going to ask you, if the Flyers are going to make a trade, and I, I've kind of talked about this a handful of times with a couple people, if they are to make a move, could you see it being kind of something like the Gudisniskanen trade where it's like they, they kind of take on a big contract back and then they kind of trade a smaller contract, but still retain some salary. So they kind of get like that six to seven million dollar kind of base range of the contract. I, I don't know if you kind of if you're like following along. I know I probably didn't uh, explain it the best, but that Niskanen trade was pretty much they got good. They traded Gudis for Niskanen, and it was pretty much like six seven million dollars of the cap, you know, the, the, for, for the contract that they retained back. And I'm thinking to myself like if if there's anything that they can do because. My, my thought has been this whole time that everything that they've done has been with Seattle in mind. And I, I think Fletcher is worried of expansion because he got, he got boned last time with Minnesota. Um, he, I, I don't think he wants to look like an idiot again. So my thing is, this is like, I think those big contracts are going to be exposed. And I think if the Flyers are going to try to full roll, I think it could be something like the goodness in this country, but I just want to get your thoughts though. So the short answer is, yeah, I could totally see a trade like that happening without mm -hmm. a doubt. You know, which player it is remains to be seen. But yeah, yeah I, could right. see, I could see a move like that happening. It, it all really comes down to, and this is why it's hard to predict exactly what moves are going to be made. Right. It comes down to, number one, what pieces they can move out to clear space. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to who Seattle might take. Because I agree with you. I agree that, I mean, I fully expect that both James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek will be exposed in part because I think from Voracek's perspective, I just don't think they believe they would take him. I don't think they, I don't think they think Seattle. So it's like, why bother protecting him? So when, someone like the ghost on waivers kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I just, I mean, if they decide they need to move on for Voracek, I think they would have to pay Seattle. Yeah. To take Voracek, not because he's a bad player, but because that's a massive contract and he's, he's going to be 32 in August. And then with Van Riemsdyk, I think they may expose Van Riemsdyk kind of with the hope. And then Van Riemsdyk is a good player, but they may expose him with the hope Seattle takes him. 
because mm-hmm. that would clear up $7 million of space. And then suddenly you have that space to go out and get a defenseman. Now, if it turns out Seattle takes none of those guys, you still have some cap space. Like they're not in cap hell. Yeah. But once you sign back Carter Hart, who's going to get less than we thought, but he's still going to get a raise. I mean, I would mm-hmm. think somewhere, my guess with him is he probably gets a bridge deal, you know, something in the like three I'd years. Like, yeah, like three years, four years, somewhere in the three to four million dollar range from a cap standpoint. That, Maybe that's what I'm like saying. I'm got. Yeah, like that's what I'm expecting because that's what a lot of those goalies get. Like that's I think I believe that's what Vasilevsky got when he got his first contract over VLC. I haven't really done my research. I think Markstrom's got something like that too. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of goalies in Hart's situation that showed real promise in the VLC, they usually get bridge deals. I know that you know back last offseason when Hart was coming off of the uh, the great playoff run he wanted a market setting contract. Like he wanted an, an eight year deal with big money. That was what he wanted. The flyers, you know, kind of were like, let's wait and see. And well, they were right to, let's say, let's wait and see, because now I really don't think he's getting that contract. Now I think it makes more sense for both teams to go bridge. But like, that's what I'm saying where, you know, when they were doing planning long-term, they were thinking like, are we going to have to pencil in, you know, a seven, $8 million cap hit for Carter Hart, because that's the deal he's going to have to get. Now I think both sides are looking at it as a bridge makes more sense. They're going to have more space there, but he's still going to get a raise. He's still going to get more money than like the $800,000 cap that he's got now. Then they're going to have to resign Sanheim, who I don't think is going to get a massive raise, but he's going to get more money. I I would expect him to get like an over $4 million cap hit without a doubt, which is more money they got. They got to allocate. So once you do that, I mean, there's, you know, somewhere between seven and nine million dollars of your cap of, of your twelve million dollars in space that's tied up in re-signing your guys. And then maybe you have, you know, three, four mil left. So then you don't have a lot of space. And then it becomes, okay, how do we fill these holes? Do we have to do a player for player deal? You know, do we have to trade, you know, a current forward to get a defenseman just to make the money work? You know, can we do a, a Niskan and Gudis type deal? Because you know, that adds $2 million worth of cap, but it doesn't add enough that it's a concern. Then we want to go out and get a better backup goalie to backup heart. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, which is why it's like the short answer is yes, I can see them doing a deal like that. The yeah. long answer is it's hard to know exactly what kind of deal that would yeah. be because there's so many things that lead up to deciding what kind of deal they'll even be able to make with regards to the cap. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it, that's why I think it's so hard to, to just, just predict this stuff is like insane because like we have no idea. And, I, th- I think the one thing that kind of goes off that too is like, like when Niskanen retired, we're all thinking to ourselves, oh, this is going to be a great year. You know, we're going to have Niskanen again. And it's just like out of nowhere, he retired. Everybody found out. And then it was like, well, what do they do now? So, yeah, we got a good question here, like going off of that subject too from Arm Zebra saying, realistically, who can the Flyers go for to fill that role that they need? And I would assume that's talking about like the, the veteran defenseman type of role that you can go out and possibly get. So, Charlie, who do you think? realistically they can get the fillet the the niskanen role yeah i mean there aren't i think it kind of boils down to like what you want to fill like in my opinion and obviously it's easy for me to say this because i'm not the general manager i'm not the one who has to go out there and find these guys in my mind if you want to if you want to set the defense up for stanley cup contention success i think they need to get a high-end top pair defenseman i think they need to get a guy better than matt niskanen because i don't have faith that ivan Provorov is ever going to become that true number one so i'm looking for a real impact guy i'm looking for i mean obviously you're not going to get a chris pronger because there just aren't chris prongers out there like that's not going to happen again but like the two guys they were looking at in um you know leading up to the trade deadline matthias at and ryan ellis those are two guys in my mind that fit the bill i mean they are number mm-hmm. one defensemen 
who could fill that role. I think they are both better than Matt Niskanen was when the Flyers got him. And they're guys who, if they're still out there, yeah, if, if Nashville's willing to move one of them, then pay up. And that's why, you know, one, one playoff series that I'm very much paying attention to. Um, that's North Carolina. Know, yeah. And, and the reason is, is because if Nashville like upsets Carolina and goes on a run, I think that hurts the Flyers because then Nashville starts thinking, maybe we don't have to rebuild. You know, maybe, maybe we don't have to trade anybody because we're actually good. Whereas yeah. if they get swept by Carolina, then they might just revert back to like, yeah, we got on a second half hot streak, but we're not actually that good. We need to look for the future. So if I'm a Flyers fan, like I'm rooting heavy for Carolina in that series. And I'm rooting heavy for Carolina to like win in four or five, because I think that would help the Flyers in terms of adding new pieces to the table in yeah. talks that might not be there if Nashville wins two rounds. Yeah, because I, I remember back when, like back when the whole month of March was happening <laughs> and Nashville was like winning games. They won like, I think six straight. Everybody's like, oh, well, 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 you know, the Flyers should go for Ekholm or Ellis. I'm like, Nashville is literally like battling for a playoff yeah. spot with three teams right now. I'm like, they're not going to trade to any of their top four defensemen. Yeah, they thought they were cooked. And, right. you know, then it, it kind of came down to, it really came down to UC Soros, who was incredible for them. And, you know, Flyers fans can certainly speak to this. Like, goaltending can either ruin everything or fix everything. This year, it played a large part of ruining everything for Nashville. I mean, UC Soros turning into, and who knows if this is actually a true down level, but he was incredible. He really carried that team. Then they started getting some guys back from injury. You know, they got Ryan Ellis back from injury. They got a few other guys back, and they went on a run. I think Nashville should look to rebuild. Like, I think they are in a position where they're, they're kind of stagnant. I don't think they have a particularly high ceiling as a team. But it's easy for a general manager to be fooled by a long playoff run. So if I'm Flyers fans, I'm I'm hoping that Nashville, you know, crashes back to earth in the playoffs and then something like Tampa in 2019. Hey, that would be that'd be good for the Flyers. And if that happens, then David Poyle takes a step back and is like, all right, you know, the team earned the right for me not to gut them at the deadline because they were playing well enough to justify it. But I know deep down that we need to restructure this team call up Chuck Fletcher. Let's see if we can work out a deal where you give us some, some younger pieces and we trade away one of our defensemen. Um, aside from those two guys, there, there's been a couple other names that have been thrown out there. Um, you know, Seth Jones has been a name that's, that's popped up because of the possibility that he might not want to resign in Columbus. Mm -hmm. I personally think he will just because, I mean, they are making a lot of noise about, you know, basically structuring the entire team around him. You know, they want him to be the next captain they feel like he's a guy that I think there are a lot of people that actively don't like playing in Columbus. I don't think he's one of those guys. So for him, it's just a matter of convincing him that they can turn this around after a really bad year. And I think in the end, if they throw enough money at him and they're supportive enough to him, I think he'll go for it. But if he's out there, I think the flyers will certainly look at him. You know, he's, he's yeah, an interesting course. guy. Yeah. He's an interesting guy where his underlying metrics are not as good as you think, but he has an incredible reputation in league circles. And I suspect that Fletcher, you know, would lean more towards the latter than the former when it comes to, you know, wanting to acquire him because his physical ability is just off the friggin' charts. Um, beyond those guys, you know, there's another tier. You know, there's a guy like David Savard who they didn't, you know, they didn't target at the at the trade yeah, deadline like, because they just, like that's they, more like a, a playoff rental kind of thing. Yeah, but he's a UFA. So right. he's going to hit free agency and he's like in that second tier. You know, if you can't get one of those top guys, you get him. And I like Savard. But I kind of think he's more of he's more of a better Justin Braun. And while that would help, 
I don't think that solves the problem. Yeah, because I think at that yeah. point it's like you're just trying to add a defenseman to add a defenseman if that's what we're talking about. You exactly. Know what I mean? Exactly. So I would and, rather and, them yeah. just try to you know do what they can, and if they have to give up something big, they have to give up something big. Yeah. Because yeah. if they miss the playoffs next year, then we are talking about a completely different scenario of what we expected. Totally agree. And to be clear, like. I think the Flyers are in a position right now where if they strike out on the top guys, they are in a position where they have to get somebody. Like they have to. Yep. Yeah. And they, they would, if it comes down to it and your only choice is get David Savard or get no one, they have to get David Savard because if they go into next season with the same defense core, they're screwed. Oh, like it's yeah, going to happen. It's gonna, but I also believe that if they have to resort to that, mm. that, that, that's like, it's not the solution. It's just a band aid. You still right, need yeah. that guy. So, why not pay up if possible and just get that guy? Like, yeah. you know, just just make the move. And if it costs you a piece that you don't want to lose, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where I wanted to get into too. like talk about like if you have to make that desperation move or just try to go out and get that big game as possible. Like, who would you think on the roster currently or any of the prospects currently could be more expendable than the other? Do you think maybe they throw in? Of Phil Myers in that trade, if the good trade comes around, maybe do they throw in a guy like a Nolan Patrick if that trade comes around? Because I know Nolan Patrick, there was reports that he hired another agent, his third one in three years. So I, I want to get your thoughts. Like, who do you think on the roster or prospect, whatever, is more expendable if the Flyers have to make a move like that? So let me put it this way I don't think the question is who is more expendable. I think the question is more who isn't on the table because there are a lot of guys I think that are on the table. Like no, I'm not. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying there are guys that like they're desperate to move, but I'm just saying that the question to me is more like who aren't they willing to trade versus who are they willing to trade? Because I think 80% of the roster and that might be undershooting it. They are willing to trade. Like, I think they would, they would be hard pressed to like, obviously Drew and, and, and Couturier are their own separate things because they're, they're the mm -hmm. core guys. You know, Drew has a no movement clause. Couturier is probably their best player. He I don't think a, they're a no move clause too. Yeah. Well, Couturier doesn't, but he's, he's a, you know, he's a pending UFA next year. They want oh, yeah, to no, resign no, him. Saying that Hayes is the no move. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah. Hayes is a no, he's probably not going mm -hmm. anywhere there, but like, no. mm -hmm. I don't think they would want to move Proverov. I don't think they would want to move Farabee. I don't think they would want to move Lindblom. Beyond those guys, I'd say Lawton too, right? Uh, yeah, I mean they like Lawton. They obviously committed to him in the off season, and they made some promises to him. Definitely, like they definitely promised him that they were going to, um, you know, that they weren't going to expose him in, in expansion. That said, like I'm a big Scott Lawton fan. Scott Lawton is not the kind of player that holds up a trade. I don't care. I don't care how loyal you are. Like if you're talking with Buffalo about Jack Eichel and they're like, we're not doing this deal unless Scott Lawton's involved. It's like, sorry, Scott, you know, that's not, you, you, you don't, you don't say we're not making a big move because we're not willing to include Scott Lawton. So I would not yeah, put yeah. Scott Lawton on that. I, I actually think, and this may surprise some people. I actually think they're pretty hesitant to move Travis Sanheim. I think they like him a lot more than a significant portion of the fan base does beyond those guys. Like Konechny, I don't think they want to trade him, but I think they would trade him. Myers, Myers is tough because it's like, you know, if you trade him, you're opening up a hole because they kind of had this, they have, they have this idea in their heads of like Proveroff, Sanheim, Myers. That's our young core on defense. We've got York coming. We've got Zamula coming. We get a couple more vets to supplement them. Then they're set. If you trade Myers, then you lose your only young right-handed shot. And it kind of messes with the plan. But at the same time, Myers had a bad year. 
Like he had a really bad year. Yeah, and but sometimes he's four years old. Yeah, sometimes you got to give to get. And I think he's more expendable than a Sanheim. That said, if you trade, like if you trade Myers for in the package for a defenseman, okay, you cert you you almost certainly upgrade. But then it's like, okay, then you got another spot on defense to fill. So that's the complication of trading Myers. I'm not saying they would not do it. I'm just saying that. I don't think it's something they would love to do because they have this idea of how they want to structure the defense. And if you get that top pair right-handed defenseman without trading Myers, then everything slots in the way you want it to. So that's why I don't think they necessarily want to do that, but I think they could. And then beyond that, like the prospects, like you mentioned Nolan Patrick. I don't think Nolan Patrick has a ton of value right now. I'm not saying he has no value, but like, I don't think he's headlining a deal for a top pair defenseman. Like he could be in it maybe. But he's not, after the season he had with the questions surrounding his health, you know, he's kind of a guy who, you know, you look at as a change of scenery type where, hey, maybe we can get more out of him than the Flyers are. But he's not a guy where you come in and like, like Travis Konechny is a guy where you trade for Travis Konechny, you're excited. You're excited. You're you're a, you're a fan of another team. You're like, we got Travis Connecting. He's a fun player. He was almost point per game two years ago. Kind of had a down year, but still did some cool stuff. He's in his prime. Like that's a guy you get excited about. If you're a fan of another team and your team gets Nolan Patrick, you're like, well, we'll see. You know, second overall pick. That's interesting, but maybe he's a bust. So I don't see Tra- I don't see Nolan Patrick as like a piece that center is, is like the centerpiece of a deal. He could be involved, and maybe he just gets moved. For the sake of, you know, he wants a fresh start somewhere and the Flyers obliged. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe he's not even, if he's traded, maybe he's not even traded in like a deal for a piece. Maybe he's traded in a deal for picks because almost Fletcher just decides it's not going to work here. Let's give the kid a shot somewhere else. Yeah, and I know there's like a bunch of the fan base right now giving up on so many like type of like when you were talking about Travis Sandheim, I, I, I see it all on Twitter. Like just everyone for some reason hates Sandheim. I see what everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Charlie, I'm sure you see it the most, you know, all those followers and stuff. Um, but like some of it is just, it is so, is so odd. Like it's just crazy how after one year, it's just all of it changes. Yeah, yeah, and again, uh, it boils down to the frustration aspect. You know, right, yeah, such high expectations for this year. Hockey. Yeah, it's been yeah. the same hockey for a decade. I mean, this is the only hockey I've I've seen in my life. I mean, I started watching in the last lockout, 12, 13, and every year it's been miss, make, miss, make. Yeah. So it's 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 been unfortunate. Yeah, you start becoming a fan at the worst time. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that, that that's kind of what happens when you sit there in, in the summer when you're. I think I think I was ten, and I started watching Claude Giroux highlights, and then fell in love with you know the team from there, and then that was kind of it. And uh, we got a comment right here from Cole Giroux saying, uh, talking about the uh, injury that happened to Tyson Forrester last night or a couple nights ago, actually saying how long is he going to be out for? Because that did look like a scary situation, but I think they said that he wasn't hospitalized, so it might not be as bad as we think. Or what do you? No, think? It, it, it's it's not terrible. I mean, it looked really bad. It definitely looked like a bad it's injury. A separated uh, collarbone, right? Yeah, my, yeah. My understanding is it's a collarbone. You know, he is separated or fractured. I'm not sure, but I don't get the sense that it's, it's going not a to. Surgery, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals where like it's going to keep him out for a little bit, but the season's over anyway. I, mm-hmm. I don't think number one, I don't think it's going to impact his availability for training camp. Number two, I, I think it's probably going to be like you know maybe a month or two, and then he's back to doing off season activities. So it, it it looks like he dodged the bullet there. It was a scary looking injury, but I, I think he'll be okay. 
And that's also another thing I wanted to ask too going into next year because with Tyson Forrester, Zade Wisdom, those type of players, since they're so young and they're under the limit to play in the AHL, do you think the NHL is eventually going to try to do something to where maybe those two type of players can still play down in the AHL or do you think they're going to eventually force them to go back and play in the O? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, the the chalk answer is they're going to force them to go back because what it really boils down to is that the NHL benefits so much from basically using the three major junior Canadian leagues, the OHL, the Q, and the WHL, as almost like a glorified minor league development system for their young draft picks, that it's tough for them to... Like they have an entire like transfer deal set up with them. And the key part of that deal is that you get these guys until they're 20, unless they're ready for the NHL. That's like, that's the core compromise of the transfer deal. That's how the OHL, the Q and the WHL, that's how they keep their stars. And the only reason why that was able to kind of be gotten around this year is because the OHL just didn't play hockey. Like if you look at like the Q and the WHL, like particularly WHL, like guys went back. Guys went. Guys had to leave their AHL teams because the, the WHL started playing games again. The reason why Forster and Zade Wisdom were able to stay is because the OHL never got approval from you know, the ministers in Ontario to, to play hockey. I would assume they'll get approval by next season. And in that case, I mean, look, NHL GMs would love it if guys like Tyson Forrester and Zade Wisdom, you know, guys who are physically ready for pro hockey, but maybe not quite ready from a developmental standpoint to make the NHL, they would love it. If those guys could play in the AHL, they would absolutely love it. They'd love to have a firsthand, you know, view of those guys, have them work with, you know, flyers, employees, flyers, coaches, people like that. And there has always been talk about the idea of like, you know, maybe the NHL and the Canadian junior hockey leagues can work out some sort of like exception rule where like every team can take one guy a year who's under the age of 20 and have them play in their AHL team. But that would involve negotiations. And really, the CHL has no reason to cave. You know, they're providing a major service to the NHL by allowing, like, what essentially happens is the NHL signs guys, like the NHL teams will sign guys to entry-level deals and then loan them back to the, you know, OHL team, you know, the, the WHL team, the, the Everett Silver the team, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and that whole process could get screwed up if – the NHL tries to drive a hard bargain and tries to change the the parameters of the agreement. So is it possible? Yeah, it's always possible. And obviously this season showed that a lot of guys who aren't NHL ready, but aren't over the age of 20 are able to excel in the HL. And maybe that accelerates those talks, but I wouldn't necessarily expect that like if a Tyson Forrester doesn't make the NHL roster next season, I wouldn't call that by any means a foregone inclusion. Like I would expect he will not make the NHL roster next season. I would think he probably will go back to the OHL. Yeah. Now, Tyson, you haven't asked a question in a while, so I'm going to throw one <laughs> to you for Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to add to that too. Just the fact that um, the OHL had made no money last year. So they're not going to be in any position to be like, yeah, let's not take back, uh, you know, star players on our franchises to to play and exactly. actually get fans in the building again as things starting to reopen. Um, in terms of the, the prospect base of the Flyers, like what players do you feel like have the best opportunity to jump to the squad next year? And which ones do you think are kind of declining a little bit? I know I think of like Rubitsov um, kind of struggling to kind of make his way as this, you know, former first rounder outside more than a depth piece right now. But 
outside of him, kind of like what are what are your thoughts on the prospect base at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, so I mean, the guy that they, I think the guy that they view in terms of the organization, they view as their best prospect is Cam York, and I absolutely believe that he's going to get every chance to make the team out of camp next year. Like, I don't know what the defense is going to look like from a structural standpoint going into next season because they're going to make moves. But I think that Cam York will be given a real chance to be one of the six, seven, six or seven defensemen that make the team. I think they believe he's close to ready. They really like the skill set. Yeah, so he's absolutely one of those guys. I think Igor Zamul will be in the mix. He kind of had a an up and down first season in the AHL. So it really, I think, comes down to how good of an offseason he has and how you know what he looks like coming to camp. Beyond those guys, um, I mean. I would be very surprised, and I don't even know if he even is considered a prospect really anymore. I'd be very surprised if Wade Allison isn't on this team next year. I, mean, I think he really impressed during the last month of the season, and he came pretty darn close in my mind to basically earning a spot on the on the roster, if not like the top nine. So he's certainly a guy who I think is going to be on the team next year, and I think Tanner Lazinski has a good shot of being on the team next year as well. Yeah, as long as, too, if yeah, yeah, as long as he comes back, you know, according to his timeline, I believe. He's projected to be cleared by like late August. So that would, you know, that, that weeks, right? Yeah. It's, it's a long recovery, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for him, it's a matter of just how good of an off season can he have while recovering from surgery. That'll probably decide his readiness, but I think they like him. They like him as like a fourth line versatile option. So he'll have a shot um, beyond those guys. I'm not sure if there's anybody who I look at and I say, you know, Frost, maybe? I think, well, yeah, I guess if you're considering Frost still a prospect, which I guess technically he is, it's just so weird with his trajectory, considering that like he made the team out of camp this year and then he got hurt. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think he'll be in the mix too if you if we're still considering him a prospect. Um, turning to your other question about guys who've lost steam, Rubsoff's an obvious one, without a doubt. You know, he's a guy who I don't even know where he stands in the organization at this point um, because he had a run, you know, in a a couple of years ago when he first came over to, to play in the AHL and he started out the season. Great. He really looked like he was, because his, his big problem has always been, he's a smart player. He's always going to be, you know, conscientious defensively, but the offensive side, he has the ability, but he doesn't like think offense. He always is thinking like, how do I play it safe? And when he came to the AHL, he was adding that offensive dynamic to his game. And then he got hurt and he missed the rest of the year and it disappeared again. And I don't know if it's ever going to come back. Like, I just don't know if that's uh, if that's the player he's ever going to be. And if it is, I don't know if he's an NHL player. Isaac Ratcliffe, I think, probably took a little bit of a step back this year. Granted, it was a tough year for him. I mean, this is a guy he's who had... Too, yeah. yeah, well, he had a rib injury that then mm-hmm. turned into a collapsed lung. So he missed time. Like, it was a bad year for him. But yeah. he's getting older. And he still hasn't had a really great year in the AHL yet. So... You know, he was always looked at as a project, so maybe he's a late bloomer, but he's got to be a guy who kind of some of the shine has taken off him. But it really wasn't a bad year for Flyers prospects. I think a lot of guys took steps forward. That mm-hmm. said, I don't think anybody took a step forward where you're like, this guy's going to be a future star. It's just a lot of guys, you know, took step forwards in the sense where you think, okay, I value them higher now than I did this time last year, but they don't have a piece that I look at and I say like, man, that's a, you know, that's a future top of the lineup guy. And in uh, terms of, I guess, last questions from the comment section in terms of the Flyers right now, this one comes from Ammo saying, what type of pressure do you think Chuck Fletcher is going to get from Dave Scott? And will Dave Scott try to influence any type of player movement? So do you think Dave Scott's going to have any type of say in the moves that are going to happen? 
this offseason? So the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it's a different situation now because the thing with Dave Scott, and this was sort of where he was with, with Ron Hextall, is I don't think there was a lot of collaboration. Like, I don't think Ron Hextall really included Dave Scott in the process. I think Ron Hextall, to a degree, understandably, was sort of like, look, I'm the hockey guy. You're the business guy. Let me do my job and, like, don't even bother talking to me. There's no, there's nothing you can provide. And while I don't think he was necessarily wrong in thinking that, like, I don't know how much really Dave Scott, how much Dave Scott's input really is going to help me in team building, there's an element of, like, this guy's your boss and you don't want to get on his bad side. Fletcher, on the other hand, I mean, my understanding is that Fletcher talks to Dave Scott on like a near daily basis about the team. So mm-hmm. Dave Scott feels included in every discussion, every trade idea that's coming across Chuck Fletcher's desk. So, yes, Dave Scott is going to influence what is done, but that's just because Dave Scott is always in the conversation about what is done. And Dave Scott isn't necessarily the one coming up with the ideas. Like Dave Scott isn't the one saying like, Hey, he's I think we should like there. Like, yeah, he's like just there. Support, he's, always involved. he's always being included in the process. So I don't think Dave Scott is going to be like, he's going to pull an Ed Slider and say like, we need to get Jack Eichel. I don't care what price we pay. But like, if the Flyers get Jack Eichel, he was involved with saying like, yeah, let's get Jack Eichel. So there, there's a little bit of nuance there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely understandable and, on that point. And, 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 and I guess just one last thing, Charlie. Was there anything that stood out to you from the exit interviews, just like anything in general? Um, yeah, there were a few things. I, I think one thing that stood out to me from the, uh, you know, from the organization, you know, so I'm talking like Fletcher, Fletcher, Fletcher Vino, Dave Scott, but primarily mm-hmm. Fletcher, um, Fletcher was far more, um, willing to be critical of his young players than he was in March. Like I, I remember in March, you know, when he finally, you know, stood up in front of the media in the midst of that awful month the team had. And I asked him about, you know, do you think that the season that your young guys, your under 25 guys are having, you know, has that caused you to reevaluate just how good you think they are? And he very much went to bat for them in March. He was like, you know, no, we still believe in our young players. Obviously, some of them are struggling, but we still, we still trust them. This conference, he admitted that like, they had bad years, and if they don't get better, we're not going to take the next step as a team. So basically, they need to go out, and they need to have a hell of an offseason. And I think that was intended to really be a shot across the bow of his young players. That like, I feel like it has to be, though. Yeah. You know what it, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was what he had to do, and I don't yeah. think he was wrong to, for doing it, but it was yeah. still notable because mm-hmm. it, was no, it was no longer like, I'm not treating you guys with kick gloves anymore. You did not have a good year. You yeah. know you did not have a good year, and you need to do whatever you can possibly do from an offseason standpoint to be better because right. if you're not better, we're screwed. Yeah, because honestly, I, f- I feel like a blind man could tell you that that you know he would realize that Farabee had a really good year, Yeah, and every other prospect either was okay or took one or even two steps back. Yeah. So I think it was kind of obvious that you know he has to come out and say something, and I think that's – to me, I kind of feel like that's the only way that that's going to – I mean, like these players – have to come in next year and have the best offseason of their lives. Yeah. Honestly. Because if they don't, I, I again I, I can't tell you what's gonna happen. And like I've said it before, the way that the team is trending, if they like I, I feel like it's 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 and this is kind of what you were saying earlier with the fan base is like it's harder to how do I explain it? It's harder to 
look with at the trust of the yeah fans. yeah because it's been the same thing for so long yeah and charlie i i just want to ask you one last thing what are your thoughts on i don't want to say it's like the the well i guess it is i guess it's just the way that how people kind of look at the leadership do you feel like any of that is an issue or is it kind of just like a whole you know kind of thing where people just kind of complain about certain things um i do think that a great deal of the criticism of the leadership is people frustrated with how things have gone yeah. and looking for the easiest people the answer, to blame. Yeah. And the easiest thing to say, like the, the thing that is probably the simplest answer is, okay, well, we've got these guys who've been around for a long time. The team's been bad or mediocre mm-hmm. for all that time. Just get rid of them. I'm sick of them. Yeah. So I do think there's definitely an overblown element to this. That said, you know, in a sense, it's the leader's job to rally a team, and for whatever I feel like reason, a lot of them did that though. Yeah, well, like, I, think I mean, they, 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 the veterans, they did it for themselves. Had great years, they had yeah. good, they had good years, but like, you know, it's kind of like you wish that they would have been able to do a better job of dragging the rest of the team into the fight. I think that's what happens when you have a lot of young guys, though. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the the setback from that is like you can't just expect it to work, and I think that's kind of what Fletcher did because I mean what really else could he do you know what yeah. I mean I, I mean look I'm I'm a Claude Giroux defender I think he had a really good year this year I don't think he's a bad captain I think he's a lead by example guy and I think what was really frustrating to him this year is that he was leading by example and, and, no almost, and almost no one was following no one. that example yeah and I think it was driving him up the wall yeah, because I think yeah. that's kind of and kind of what I'm getting at is like I think they were starting to get pissed that there was, you know, that many young guys on the team yeah. and none of them were were doing anything for them. And the yeah. only one that showed sign of progression was Faraby and he yeah. looked like he fought in that leadership but and really he, just no one else did. And later in the year it was maybe Allison and and he was yeah. a, you know, an add-on at that point when they were already out. So, yes, but like I mean I wouldn't like I'm certainly not a like trade Drew guy. You know, to yeah. my in my mind, he's earned. If he wants to resign after this contract is up, he's earned the right to finish his career as a flyer. I personally I, feel like Drew's going to get like a, a five six year deal. Like, I mean, like, that's just me. Like I, I think he's that's a lot of years of for a guy off. that's going to be his age. But yep. we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens with with that contract negotiation and and if you know what sort of deal they they would agree to if they agree to a deal. I also think. I mean, I think if if you have any designs on being a competitive team into the 2020s, I think you have to bring back Sean Couturier. I think he's your, your best all-around player. I mean, he's your kind of... stupid to not bring back Couturier. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you don't bring back Couturier, you're basically saying that we're rebuilding. Which, exactly. I mean, yep. maybe, you know, maybe that's the right move, but, like, that's what you're saying if you don't bring yeah. back Sean Couturier. You're like, mm-hmm. we're rebuilding around these young guys and we're just going to trade everybody else and we're going to, you know, try to pick up a couple more big pieces in the draft. Beyond those two, like, I mean, who else is your leadership for? If 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 the Flyers move Jake Voracek, like I don't think that would be the worst move. Now, granted, it would be very difficult because he's got a large contract. But you know, Jake Voracek is a guy who, at this stage of his career, is a scorer. That's all he is. At one point, when he was in his prime, he was a scorer, and he was also so dominant with the puck that the Flyers basically played high end defense by keep away. 
because the other team never had the puck. He's not that good anymore. And now the fact that he's not a great defensive player pops up a lot. And when you're a leader on the team and you're not a great defensive player, you know, that's not necessarily the best example for young guys. So, I mean, if you can, if they were to move Jake Voracek, I'd be like, that makes sense. You know, that's a, that's a shake up the core move that makes some sense to me. If you can pull it off, obviously we've talked about the possibility of James Van Riemsdyk, you know, maybe getting taken by Seattle. So he could get moved. Shane Gosses bear got waived. So like, there's a chance he gets moved. If the flyers really need to clear cap space and they're willing to, you know, throw a pick in for another team to take Shane Gosses bear. So like the leadership question is tough because there are guys that are part of like the veteran core that I would think it's justified to move. But like, if you're talking about Drew's a bad captain, I disagree. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that standpoint as well. And from all the loud Drew haters, they would, for some, I, I don't know why Drew gets all the hate and that he does in the world. It's, it's I just because don't he's understand the captain. It. It's, 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 got the said, it's yeah, got it's the, the easiest. It's the easiest thing to to look at if the team's playing with. <laughs> it's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. I know I. I, I uh, it's it's annoying that it's I think that's to me it's like blaming it. a goalie on a three on zero, you know what I mean? Like they have no they hit like if you look at those teams that Drew had right, and people I love when people try to like compare him to the guys like Taze for example. Yeah, well Taze had a whole team around him. Drew had nothing. He had Voracek. I, I'd argue the only goal scorer he had was Scott Hartnell, and, and Hartnell Wayne's was not a goal scorer. <laughs> What'd you say? And Wayne Simmons to a degree yeah, as well. He's right, not a good player. Right, Simmons, yeah. I think the only thing that 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 Flyers era had from 13 to 16 was a good power play. That's it. And that was because of Drew. <laughs> right. That yeah. was because of Drew Voracek and Simmons. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, Drew, and Drew arguably made Simmons like one of the top power play producers. And yeah, you know, like Simmons, don't get me wrong, very good power play player, very good player in his own right. But yeah, Drew has been one of the most underrated mm -hmm. and I know that word's overused, but in terms of the league, in terms of yes. uh, star power, in terms of like on ice impact, even all underlying numbers and how he drives offense, like one of the, one of the best players of his generation mm -hmm. in the NHL. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, from those three years, 13 to or four years from 13 to 16, I don't think that team had a bottom six once. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, your, had, your bottom six. I mean, what was like, Chris Vandevelde, yeah, Jordan Wheel, Nolan Patrick, a very young Nolan Patrick coming yeah. off an injury. Uh, uh, I mean, I could go on. Pierre War Belmar, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, yeah, there a lot of unintriguing names. I think that's the summary. Also of had Fopula uh, for a but, little but, bit. But the thing is, like, that's why this year was so frustrating because yeah, those because teams, you thought it would yeah. come together. Yeah, those teams, you could look at that roster objectively and take a step back and say, like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, a team with Andrew McDonald in the top four, Nick yeah. Schultz in the top four, Chris Vandevelde starting every night. Goodison like, and Manning getting, like, 18, 20 minutes. Yeah, Brandon night. Manning playing every night. Like, those teams, yeah. like, yeah, you could scream and yell about the leadership, not dragging that team to a Stanley Cup, but, like, it yeah, was never going to happen. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you look at the team this year, and you're like, okay, they're not perfect. Yeah, they need to get another defenseman. But, like, their fourth line is Michael Roffel, who, by the way, on those teams was a first liner, which should tell yeah. you something. Mm -hmm. Nicholas Albay-Cubell and Scott Lawton, these are at least, like, were supposed to be good players. And you yeah. look at that team, you're like – Okay, they got the depth this year. Because they got what they didn't have. Had, everyone had the mindset this year that nothing would go wrong because we saw yeah. what last year was where it seemed like nothing went wrong. I mean, literally from 
after Limblom was diagnosed with cancer, I don't think the team went through like a single hiccup besides the California road trip. Yeah, well, that yeah, they, it. yeah, after, yeah, you're right. The the Disney on Ice trip's always a disaster. But once they yeah. came back from Disney on Ice, they from you know early January <laughs> mm-hmm. through the through the pause, they yeah. were one of the. Best I mean, teams literally, the, the the next game they won a home game, and then if you break, literally, you can go and you break down their schedule. They would lose a game, win four or five, lose a yeah. game, and if they lost two, they would win even more. And then they had the nine game win streak to end the year. Yeah, yeah, and they lost to Boston that final game right before mm-hmm. COVID yeah. hit, and then it all yeah. stopped. Yeah. It hasn't been the same since. No. It has not. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's going to close it on the Flyers talk right now. So I think all of you know what the real talk is. It's going to be playoffs, and playoffs start tomorrow with Boston and the Washington Capitals. And with every playoff match finally set, and with the schedule being the weird thing in, in the world because the Canadian division still has, like, what, at least three, four games left and they're not even going to be playing until the start of next week. So I guess if we can go into – try to go into it as as quickly as possible, but knowing the Flyer Up podcast as quickly as possible means it's another hour, but (laughs) who knows at this point. But (laughs) So I guess we could start with the Eastern Division since Flyer Up podcasts we're more familiar with the Eastern Division, and we have those matchups set as they're starting tomorrow. So I want to get, Charlie, your thoughts on the first matchup between the Penguins and the Islanders. Who do you think has the advantage and who do you think is most likely going to win that series? So before I start, I want to say full disclosure, I really have not looked at these playoff series that much because (laughs) since the the Flyer season has been over, I've basically been full speed ahead on articles. Um, So I haven't done a ton of like breakdown of my real thoughts on these series. So full caveat there that said i mean in this series i absolutely would pick pittsburgh because i don't think the islanders have been the same team since they lost anders lee like I, they i think they were they were a well-oiled machine with anders lee and since they've lost him they've been okay but they haven't to me looked like the same i feel like, like they kind of stagnated right yeah it's just I, I i think the islanders are one of those teams and i think this is one of the reasons why they were so tough in the playoffs like if, especially against the flyers but like they're one of those teams where if they have like every single one of their key pieces healthy and in the lineup, they are one of the top five teams in hockey. They are an awesome team. Like everyone has a role. Everyone has a job. And and it's just like this perfect puzzle that fits together. But they have like 12 guys where if they lose one of those 12, he's irreplaceable. And Anders Lee is one of them. And since he's been gone, it's like they just are not the same, like, relentless team that can just hit you in waves the way they could when he was there. And on the other hand, Pittsburgh, you know, they're healthy-ish, and they've been playing really, really well. It's funny. really. They Pittsburgh 16-4-2 without Malkin. Pittsburgh has, has played well ever since the Flyers started playing bad. It's uh. like – it's basically like the two flipped. Like Pittsburgh, yeah, they had the three game series. And yeah, Pittsburgh won two two of the of the three games, and that was like the turning point of both team seasons. The Flyers yeah. from that point on were like this, and the Penguins were like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Chris, what do you th- what do you think is the uh, the outcome of this series between Pittsburgh and the Islanders? I know it's going to be Pittsburgh. I'm stuck on the games because I, I want to say Pittsburgh in five, but I'm like it's the Islanders. I can't say the Penguins in five. You know what I mean? So I my gut is telling me Pittsburgh in five, but then like part of me wants to say the Penguins in seven. So I'm not sure, but um, the only thing that I'm I'm worrisome with Pittsburgh is just I my guess would be their defense. 
because I like their D. I think their D is good. And I think to make this year any more shitty than it would be, Pittsburgh going far or at least yeah. the cup would add the, you know, j- just the, the sprinkle salt on top. Salt in the wound. Yeah, like, right. Point. So I, I like Pittsburgh. I think they're a very good team. Um, please don't take that the wrong way. Uh, I, I like the Penguins. I think they're a great team. Um, I, I, I personally, I love Crosby. I think he's a great player. I love watching him. Um, the only time I hate the guy is when he plays the Flyers. That's it because he, he, he scores so much. Um, but I mean, in all seriousness, I honestly feel like if the Penguins are able to play like that kind of shutdown way that we've seen them play against the Flyers where literally they just completely dominate in the offensive zone. And if they can do that consistently throughout the playoffs, which is something I think they kind of haven't really been able to get to in the last two playoff series they've had in the in the uh, bubble against Montreal in the play-in, and then also the uh, year before against the Islanders. If they can get to that, um, and I think if their defense can kind of hold up, but if Jari plays good, I see no reason for them to, for, you know, for, uh, for, for them to lose. Um, as for the Islanders, I still think they're a good team. Um, I just, I don't know if they just have that because of what Charlie said with Lee too. Um, you know, I, I feel like one thing with them is that when, when the Islanders, when they're on, they're on, but when they're not, they are not. And they, they don't look like a good team at all when they don't play. Like it, if like they could have a bad start and you think it would like come back, but it just doesn't. And if it continues, they are a bad team. So I, I, I don't know, but my guess would probably be Pittsburgh. And Tyson, what are your thoughts on this series? Who do you think wins? Yeah, I might be a little off the board. I think the Islanders could still pull it off. I think as much as Lee has been an issue, I think that uh, his injury being an issue, I and even the guys they added, like Paul Mary has struggled a little bit, which surprised me a little bit. I thought he would be able to provide some pretty good secondary scoring on a better team, but uh, it's been a bit of a struggle. But re- regardless of that, I think that uh, the Islanders – might, if I'm following Trotz's play or, or coaching in, in the past, kind of use this as a reset, um, like, all right, we're in the playoffs now uh, mindset. And then they just kind of go back to their sort of like stifling system that has made them so successful and Trotz so successful. So I think the Islanders are going to squeak it out. I could see it going like six or seven, though, if the Islanders are on their on their best game either way. Yeah, I, I think one wild card about the Islanders, and this is something that I absolutely think is a real thing, is the way that they play, which is a very like obstruction interference type style of defense. I think that is suited for the playoffs because the, the refs let more things go. Yeah. So that's an yep. advantage that they have because there are penalties that get called in the regular season that don't get called in the playoffs. And the Islanders are very good at those penalties. Yeah. <laughs> and like, they don't give up anything. I mean, w- w- we all saw it last year against the Flyers. I mean, regardless of you, if you thought the Flyers had a, a glorious scoring chance, they either couldn't get a shot off or they just didn't shoot. You know what I mean? Because they had nothing. So it, it felt like with the way the Islanders play, it's like that collapsing defense. And by the time, like by the time the third period, and obviously you know games five and six going overtime and everything, the Flyers are exhausted because they've been hit so much. You know what I mean? So I, and that's why I kind of feel like you know, like I go back and I look at that game six, it literally looked like the Flyers were just trying to get to the next shift every time, and then they had you know the goal from Provorov off the the broken stick. So you know it seemed like a lot of it was just 
they were gassed. And I think that's what the Islanders are built. And exactly what you're saying, Charlie, is that they're built for playoff hockey because they have big physical defensemen who take guys out of the play and they're able to just punish you as the game goes on. Yeah. And I, I thought it was going to be the outlier, but thank you, Tyson, for picking the Islanders because I, for some reason, like call it bias if you want, there's something that I'm not sold with Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's their, I know they've been really hot going into the end of the season. I, I don't trust their defense or their goaltending. Yeah. And I, I, listen, I see it because I was like that in the beginning of the year. And every year I've said that they have done something where either they've gone really far or they won the cup. Even the two years they won the cup. When I was a kid, I was like, nah, I don't see it with the Penguins. And then they won the cup back to back. So that's why I don't want to kid myself this time. And I'm just going to say that they win and hope that they lose. I'm going to go Islanders in seven games. I just think the Islanders defensively, I think they're 10 times better than New York. I think their goal 10, well, 10 times better than New York. They are in New York. They're 10 times better than Pittsburgh. And I think their goaltending with the tandem of Orlamov and, and uh, Sorokin, I think that's 10 times better than what Jari and DeSmith are. And it's also going to be Jari's first, what, real playoff series as the starter in Pittsburgh. So who knows how yeah. he's going to take that. And then also you're playing in front of fans this year in the playoffs so who knows if that's if home ice advantage is actually going to be a real advantage now and honestly yeah and i and and i i uh i wanted to bring that up too i don't know if you guys saw it have you seen the map of the islanders set up for the playoffs like like their seating chart like it's split down the middle like like sideways where they have the vaccinated fans on one side and then they have the socially distant on the other side and the vaccinated is on the side where they shoot twice, where the Islanders shoot twice. And then they have, you know how the Islanders have that one section up in the 200s where it's just all the, the fans that stand the whole time. Like that's all blocked off and everything you know, for those fans. Um, but they, I think they put it up on Twitter and there was a, a big thing on there where it's just, it's, it, it's like just the, you know, the whole setup of their arena and it's split in half. And it's got like all like it's split on one side. It's got socially distant on the one. It's got vaccinated on the other. So I thought it was actually kind of cool. Um, but I'm curious to see if if other arenas start doing that. Maybe like if Wells Fargo does that for the Sixers or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's definitely something to talk about. It. It's funny. I said we try to get through this quickly, and we take what 10, 15 minutes to talk about the one series. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens, folks. So moving on to the next series with the uh, Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. In my opinion, I think this series is easy to predict. I think Boston overall is the much better team and the more complete team than Washington. And Washington, they're still going through a little bit of COVID issues at the same time. So I think Boston, the better team, they have more depth, they have better defense, and I think they have the better goaltending than Washington. So I think Boston maybe in five or six. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think is the better team in this series? Um, I'm going to go with Washington. I think the Caps really? just play, yeah, because I think I think Washington literally plays that that similar D where they are so hard to to defend coming out of their own zone. I mean, we like they make the Flyers look silly when they play them. You know what I mean? And I know it's it's obviously it's different with Boston, but um, I'm not too sure about Boston's D. I think the Caps are very good off the rush. They have a great power play. Then again, so does Boston. You could say both of those things. So I don't know. I think this. Is, I think it could go either way. Um, I think either team could win in seven, but my gut is is definitely going to say Caps in six. And uh, Charlie, what do you think about this series? Who has the advantage and who wins it? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting series because I think it's pretty even. Um, yeah, I uh, I think I lean Boston. 
as much as it kills me to go, because the one thing that, that I'll say about Washington, I am very low to bet against a team with Peter Laviolette coaching in his first season because his teams tend to do really well in their first season. I mean, look at the Flyers. They went to the Stanley Cup final the first season Laviolette coached. Um, he just seems to like click with the team early on, and then he has a shelf life. But um, I think I'm going with Boston in part because their biggest problem in my mind going into the, the season was secondary scoring, and then they got Taylor Hall, and now that really hasn't been a problem. So I think that they win this series on the back of having paid off for Taylor Hall and made a really good trade at the trade deadline. And I just got a text from Chris saying he had to leave early. So we'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. So Tyson, what are your thoughts on this series and who do you think has the advantage and who wins it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's Boston uh, as well. I think Washington has uh, a few issues right now. I don't know what's going on with Kuznetsov. There's been a lot of talk about that. Um, just a lot more potentially internal stuff going on this year as well. And I think uh, Boston seemed to have two holes, needing another puck-moving defenseman and a scoring winger on their second line. And Hall and Riley have done incredible since that. So I think they, yeah, they move them forward. Cool. So we're going to the North Division now, the Canadian team. So we got Toronto versus Montreal. We got Edmonton versus Winnipeg. Toronto-Montreal, that's going to be much watch television. Sadly, there's not going to be any fans in the arena to enjoy that, to get the entire playoff atmosphere of that rivalry. But nonetheless, it's still going to be amazing to watch Montreal and Toronto play each other. So, Charlie, who do you think has the advantage? Well, I, obviously, I think it's Toronto, but who do you think wins that series against Toronto and Montreal? I mean, Toronto really should win it. It would be hilarious if they lost. Like, I, I yeah. don't I don't think I would stop laughing about it through the entirety of the summer. And I feel bad for because Tyson's a Toronto <laughs> fan. <laughs> I am. Been through this I'm I, I, I was born into the curse of three generations. And so, uh, yes, I will be weeping in the corner when that happens. Uh, yeah, there's a large there's a large uh, portion of me that says like Leafs, obviously. I mean, Matthews has been insane this year. Uh, Marner has been really exceptional this year. We have depth on defense. We have depth at every position. Anderson has struggled, but Campbell has done pretty well uh, as a sort of temporary starter where we've taken away a lot of high danger scoring chances. But uh, regardless of that, yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that says, yeah, of course they're going to win. But uh, with the Leafs, even with this current group, I don't think it's always that simple. So I think in my head, it's the Leafs in six. Uh, especially with Montreal's injury problems. Uh, but uh, there's, again, I would I would cry if, probably if it ends up being what uh, it happens there's, as Leaf, a Leafs fan. There's no logical reason why Toronto should lose this series aside from the fact that they're Toronto. Yeah. Yes. Like, that, like that's 100%. it. That's it. They're yep. clearly the better team. Yeah, it's like it's like the comparison to baseball with the New York Mets. The Mets are gonna met, and then yeah. I think Toronto Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs are gonna be the Maple Leafs at 100%. this point. So you got you got to rely on them getting over that hump in the first round. And I feel so bad for you, Tyson, if they don't. <laughs> so moving on to the Edmonton versus Winnipeg <laughs> series. So Connor McDavid, Leon Drysyle, they're unreal and they're must-watch hockey. Connor McDavid went a hundred-point season at over a hundred points in fifty-six games, and this season's still not even over yet. But I, I bought McDavid's jersey when he hit 100 points. That, that's basically the summary of that entire thing. And going into the series, I think uh, it's going to be exciting to watch Connor McDavid, though. But I'm not sure how to judge this because Edmonton, when they have good teams, they get into the playoffs. They lost to Chicago last year in the playing round. I don't know how to judge this, but I'm 
going to go with Edmonton in this because I want to see Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid in the second round playing each other. <laughs> so I don't know how to judge this. So Tyson, what do you think on this series first? Yeah, I think I think it's Edmonton as well. I think Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg is, I think, a little bit deeper up front, obviously outside of the star power of Dreisaitl and McDavid. But on defense, I think Edmonton is a, a deeper unit, uh, significantly so. And Hellebuck versus, you know, Koskinen or, or Smith, I guess, right now. Um, I think that Winnipeg has uh, the advantage in goal, but I think the Oilers overall have the advantage and the star power of the breakthrough of McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I think they'll they'll take it. I think it'll be a close series as well. Highly physical series, I think, but it'll be uh, a close one with Edmonton Charlie, taking the cake. And Charlie, with the star power of Edmonton, like who do you think has, the, like I think you say obviously because of star power, it's Edmonton, but like how do you gauge this series? Yeah, I, I mean, I have I have legitimate issues with the way that Edmonton has constructed their team. And I think that yeah. those issues in the long term will prevent them from going on a long run, not just this year, but in future years. That said, Winnipeg has been a mess for the better part of a month. Like they have not yep. been playing good hockey. And I just don't think they're playing at a high enough level as a cohesive whole to slow down guys like Dreisaitl McDavid. I just like, like I would be more, let me put it this way. If, if they were playing, if if Edmonton was playing Montreal, I might pick Montreal to upset them. I just don't think Winnipeg is right now playing the type of hockey they need to play to make up for the fact that Edmonton has the best players in the series. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that, but it's like I said, I just want Austin Matthews versus Connor McDavid. I think that would be fun. Be a lot of fun. That's gonna be must watch hockey. It's it also just sucks because Canada doesn't have fans. And I think that's going to ruin the experience a little bit, but still it's going to be, I guess, fun nonetheless. So hopefully that's the way it turns out. So if we go to the central division, they have like three of some of the most exciting teams to watch this year. You got Carolina in first place, Florida second, Tampa third and Nashville in fourth. So we got Carolina versus Nashville, something that we alluded to talking about the flyers earlier and then flyers fans. We hope Carolina wins this series, but I think overall, Carolina is the much more talented team. They're the much better team. They're the deeper team. Overall, they're just better. And I think Carolina can easily win this in five or six games. So, Charlie, what do you think about this series in terms of a Flyers fan and just a normal analyst? Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with the Canes. I think they're a deep team. I think this, like, I don't know if this is their year, but it could be. I think they're good enough. Um, I think it just comes down to kind of whether you wonder with them if if they need, you know, a couple times of like failing in the playoffs before they get to the point where they're ready to win it all. But I think talent wise, they could win it all. And I don't think that Nashville is anywhere close to being on their level. So I'm, I'm going with the Canes. I think they, I think they'll roll in the series. And knowing our luck, it'll be the exact opposite just because Flyers fans know nothing but misery. So Tyson, what are your thoughts on this series and how do you think it's going to, how do you think it's going to translate? Yeah, I think it's I'm in the same boat. I think it's the Canes. I think they're deeper everywhere uh, as a team and have been, you know, just exceptional all year. And I think they're going to continue that into the playoffs. And I think the only thing it's always a worry in the playoffs is a hot goalie, right? Like you run into a goalie that can just stonewall you for multiple games and Soros over the last, you know, second half of the season uh, could, I think, maybe 
do something like that. But um, still, I think the team in front of Carolina is significantly better. So I think that the Canes should be able to take it pretty handily. I, I actually have that predicted as one of the shorter series. I have it as like a five-game series. And Charlie, I want, I want to ask you this question before we get into the next series. For Dougie Hamilton, since he's going to be a free agent in this offseason, do you think this playoff run can also impact on how much he gets paid if Carolina is even going to extend him to the money that he wants? Because Carolina is known to be t- kind of cheap with their owner, but you never know what's going to happen with that offseason. So what do you think about with, with Dougie Hamilton? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely could. You know, if Dougie Hamilton has an incredible playoff run and wins the con smite, then sure, his, his ask is understandably going to go up, and it should. Um, he's a guy who certainly, you know, if he hits free agency, he should be on the flyers radar because mm-hmm. he's a great defenseman. Uh, one thing I will say about Dougie Hamilton, and I really like Dougie Hamilton. I'm a big Dougie Hamilton fan uh, in terms of him as a player. I do wonder, you know, based on what I've heard about his personality and how it didn't really work for him in Boston. Um, I wonder if he's, I wonder if he would be happier in a market like Carolina versus a market like Philly, yep. because if he, if he comes to Philly, the flyers are going to have to sign him to a massive deal and he's going to come in and he's going to be the number one defenseman and fans are going to ride him. And I just don't know. He's a very low key guy. Like he kind of doesn't like to be in the spotlight. And I, if I'm like, let me put it this way. If I'm Dougie and I hit free agency and the flyers offer me the most money, I'm not necessarily taking it because I'm thinking to myself, like I want to be happy. And I don't know if I'm going to be happy in Philadelphia, <laughs> but if I'm the flyers, I'm trying to get him because he's an awesome player. Yeah, I understand that standpoint entirely. So we move on to the other series that's in the central, the first matchup between the two Florida teams, the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this is going to be a tough series to gauge just because I feel like both teams on circumstances are evenly matched, but Tampa Bay is getting some players, their top players back in Stamkos and Kucherov. They still they still don't have Hedman, though, but they still have a elite defensive core. They still have Vasilevsky in the net, and Tampa Bay is just an amazing team overall. In Florida... I still feel like they're kind of an unknown commodity in the playoffs just because of how good they played this year. They don't have Ekblad. I feel like that's going to affect them much, but I think this is a series that can go seven games. And also the question with their goaltending, because is it going to be Bobrovsky? Is it going to be Dreiger? Are they going to throw Spencer Knight into the mold? It's it's a tough series to gauge. So, Charlie, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is a series where, like, you know, at some point, if you're picking playoffs, you have to pick some upsets. And... I kind of am leaning Florida here because, you know, and that's nothing against Tampa, but like they did win last year. They won last year. I don't think they're going to come in as hungry as they were last year because they got their title and Florida's a good team. Like, yeah, they lost Ekblad, but they're really well coached. I mean, Quenville is an incredible coach. They have, you know, real depth up front. And I don't know. I mean, look, Kucherov's an incredible player. Don't get me wrong. He's one of the best in the league. He's one of my favorite players to watch. But I just don't know how effective he's going to be coming in cold. Like, I I don't know if it's realistic to think that he's going to come back and be Nikita Kucherov right right out of the gate. So I don't know. You know, if they get if they get ninety percent of Kucherov, I think Tampa wins the series. But if they get sixty or seventy, Florida's a good enough team to win. And it's some like there's going to be upsets. It's the NHL playoffs and you know, Florida's on, they're the higher seeded team. So if they, it's an upset, that's not really an upset. So I'm, I'm picking Florida. Yeah. And Tyson, what are your thoughts? What do you think with this series? Cause it's so hard to gauge. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think Hedman's still injured in Stamkos, like also are not hundred percent by any means. I think that's going to be a hard, a hard one for Tampa to win, but I still think even if not all their players are at hundred percent, I think they could still pull it off though. I would not be surprised in the slightest 
if uh, if Florida upset them. So I'm going with uh, Tampa in seven. Yeah, this, this is going to be a fun series to watch. It's the first time both Florida teams are playing each other in the playoffs. And with the arenas most likely going to be jam-packed, that's going to be an amazing – and you'll finally be able to get to see the Florida Panthers have a full arena, hopefully. So I think that's one thing we can actually look forward to. So if we go to the final division. We talk about the Western division. And this has some exciting teams too, some of the top three teams to watch in the league as well. So we'll start with Colorado versus St. Louis. And I think this one is probably going to be easy because St. Louis, they weren't a good team. They weren't really that good of a team this year. And Colorado, even though they're injured, they're still a very fun team to watch. I think Colorado takes this series easily. So Tyson, what are your thoughts on this series? Yeah, again, I don't always like to harp on injuries, but Colorado has had issues with that. Uh, but that being said, I do think they're a significantly better team, and St. Louis is at issues. Um, curious to see how Bennington does in this playoffs after what happened last year in the bubble. Um, I think a lot of that could be blamed for the fact it was the bubble. But uh, even so, I think that was a new sort of blip that um, in Bennington's short uh, NHL career so far. Um, so I think I think the Avalanche should be able to to pull it off. I think that they're deep. Um, that this will be uh, a victory. I, I have them going all the way to the roughly close to the conference finals, though. In the uh, in this division as well, there's some new teams kind of on the table here, especially Minnesota and their resurgence uh, as this sort of like potential, you know, much much better contender than we originally thought they would be. So I think. Um, but yeah, overall, I think Colorado should be able to pull this one off. I like that. And Charlie, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, Colorado should roll. I, I think Colorado, I mean, they're the President's Trophy champ, the President's Trophy winners, but like, I think they enter the playoffs as the favorite to win the cup. So mm-hmm. if they, not saying they couldn't be upset because upsets happen, the playoffs are weird, but if they don't beat the Blues, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, like selling the blue short, like they won the cup a few years ago. They have some real, real talented vets and, and guys like that, but they're not the same team they were. I mean, they don't have Petrangelo. Tarasenko is not what he was because he's still, you know, sort of fighting his way back from, from those injuries and those surgeries that he's had. They're just not the same team. So to me, this is if Colorado loses this series, they choked it because they're the better team by far. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine choking a series like that. But going to a Boston did it a couple of years, so many years ago against the Flyers. Tampa, so well, Tampa did it. I mean, <laughs> Tampa did yep. it too. I, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> See, if that can happen, anything can happen, which is yeah. why you ne- yep. you're never too confident about the NHL playoffs. But yeah, Colorado is much better than St. Louis. <laughs> so if we go to Vegas and Minnesota, I feel like this series is going to be exciting because both teams are really good. But I think Minnesota right now, they're too raw in terms of the way they, I, I know they have Kaprizov and Kaprizov is amazing to watch. And he's a Chuck Fletcher draft pick so many years ago. So man, Chuck, just, Chuck just couldn't convince him to come over while he still had his job. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and Vegas, they have been in terms of a team that's been pushing for the cup ever since they got into the, into the league. And they've been a top team ever since. And Vegas, this is probably their best team they've ever put together in terms of trying to win the cup. And you got a Mark Andre Fleury who's on the end of his career, still playing at the top of his game. You got Robin Lanner as the other other option in net. And Vegas is just a deep team in general. They're insanely fun to watch. So this is going to be a fun series. I I think Vegas is going to win this. But Charlie, who do you think? Yeah, this is another series where it's like, you know, I I almost feel like looking at the bracket, you're kind of, I'm kind of taking a like NCAA basketball approach where it's like, there's going to be some upsets, like, because it's the NHL playoffs. So you just have to look at it and you're like, okay, what are the ones that are plausible? 
And this one is plausible to me. Not, like Vegas is the better team. They are absolutely the better team. They are the deeper team. They have the better goaltending. They have the better star power. Minnesota mm-hmm. could win this series. They really could. And, you know, it's one of those things where kind of like just for fun, I'll take Minnesota because I think they could win this series. And I think there's going to be a few upsets. And this one is a plausible one to me. Oof. That's that's an interesting take. I know if uh, Minnesota actually goes on a deep run, Flyers fans are going to be irate. Oh, they'll but, lose their minds. But I mean, Flyers fans will lose their minds about anything. So yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that, that is definitely true. But uh, Tyson, what are your thoughts on this series? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I still have Vegas in mind. Uh, again, I would not be surprised if Minnesota does do this upset, though, especially because of between Kaprizov and Minnesota's defense is, is very deep and they've seen a lot of just strong like I don't know every time I watch I watched Minnesota play quite a bit a lot more than I thought I would this season they were significantly more exciting I found myself uh, surfing on NHL TV their games much more consistently than I have in years past so I from what I've seen from them, I love how they play even uh, as a system as a team they're fun to watch even uh, which is hard to say about a Minnesota team uh, and I do think that they could they could give Vegas a run but I still think uh, Vegas is uh, some of their top players are always so intriguing to me. Like the Mark Stone, one of my favorite players in the league, like just incredible defense player uh, with offensive ability. Uh, William Carlson, um, you know, being a more of a two way guy as well. They just have this sense of like, I feel like they're built for playoffs, I guess, like with a lot of even their top players that they play that sort of brand of, uh, of strong two way hockey overall that tends to uh, translate well to the playoff pitcher. And so uh, while I think the, you know, Minnesota upset is, is, you know, with a, a potential, I think that Vegas still has enough pieces that they will take it. But I think this will be another one of those series. That's a lot closer uh, than maybe Vegas fans would want it to be. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be in Vegas at that point. I think they're oh, game three. So nice. I'm going to, I'm I'm not going to any because they're I think they're going to be in Minnesota by the time I'm there. But that's like to be in like a restaurant with all the Vegas fans in that atmosphere. It'll it'll be fun. But I wonder, hopefully- if, they'll have a, I wonder if they'll have a watch party like at the stadium. Like they you might. know have it have it like up on screens and stuff. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah they might because that that entire like strip where the arena is is gigantic. So I can yeah, imagine yeah. them having that. Yeah, I've but, been I've been there a few times to a couple times to cover games and then once just to be there and like get see the atmosphere and it's it's awesome. It's an awesome thing. Like now that now that everyone is, you know, getting vaccinated and hopefully the pandemic is is slowly but surely ending. I mean, if you're a Flyers fan and you've never been to to Vegas to see a Flyers Golden Knights game, like find a way to get out there because it's a blast. Yeah. And like I'm just going to be in a restaurant most likely on that because I think they play when we get there it's going to be Friday they don't play Saturday they play and we're going to be on a restaurant so a sports bar too so we're hopefully that atmosphere and hopefully I don't witness an angry bit, bunch of Vegas fans because <laughs> yeah, I, right. I I don't want to be in that atmosphere but so in terms of the get the final prediction out of the way who do you think the Stanley Cup final matchup is going to be and who do you think is going to win it in terms of me. To just be, this is what I want, and this is what I think is going to be much-watched television, even though it's probably not going to happen. I want Toronto-Boston in the Stanley Cup final, because that's going to be very fun to watch. That would be hilarious. (laughs) That would be very hilarious. The one team Toronto can't beat. (laughs) Yep. And Tyson, don't kill me if this doesn't happen, but I'm going to say Toronto wins the Cup. That's what I want, but in terms of like what's probably actually going to happen, and what I'm going to hit, Pittsburgh's probably going to win the cup just to piss us off even more. But I, I want Toronto Boston in the finals, and I think Toronto's gonna win, get over the hump this year. But I also don't want that to happen because the Flyers want the longest drought after that. 
<laughs> so that's what I think is going to happen. So, Charlie, what do you think is going to be the finals matchup? Who do you think is going to win it? I'm going uh, Avs Canes, and I'm going Avs to win it. Ooh, interesting. And Tyson, what do you think the finals matchup is going to be? Man, I think it's going to be. I think it's. I I have. I think it's going to be Toronto Boston as well. Um, Yeah. So that's actually. I yeah. I was just looking at my one more time. See, but yeah. Uh, not that I want it at all as a Leafs fan, but if I just kind of go through, uh, yeah, I think Toronto is built the best they have been for this playoff run, uh, in terms of, you know, even the playoff type hockey, that was always a killer in years past was our power play, uh, a good season power play during the season, the playoff, and then you can't utilize it in the same way. And our power play has actually not been great the last few months, and we've still been able to pull off victory. So that's actually a promising sign for five on five play, yeah. uh, heading into the into the playoffs. And uh, so, yeah, I I'm a cautiously, very cautiously hopeful Leafs fan that they will pull off a Stanley Cup victory and finally exercise those demons uh, against the against the Bruins in the final. I gotta say, I respect that you are a Leafs fan and you're picking the Leafs to win the cup. Like that, that's, that's gotta be hard because you know, everything, you know, the 1967, you know, the history. Oh yeah. So to, to have oh, the yeah. trust that they can, that this is the year and to say that out loud, I respect it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think from mine and Charlie's standpoint, we've never had that in like so many years. <laughs> we, we, we just haven't had that feeling. Yeah. We thought this year yeah. might've been closer to that, but you know, flyers are going to flyer. And I yeah. think the perfect story for Toronto, they finally get out of the first round. But, you know, they still somehow in some way have to play Boston because it's Toronto in the playoffs in the past so many years. I think the perfect way to end off their story is to finally get over that hump against Boston and win the cup against them. I think that's the perfect way to end it. Yeah, that would be fun. I I think Toronto I think Toronto gets out of the the division. I think they're one of the final four teams. I just don't. I, the the two teams I picked, I think they are a worse team than both of those teams. So that that's kind of where I think the run ends. But I think I think Toronto is the best team by far in the North, and they should come out of that four. But we got to rely on Toronto actually getting over the hump. We that's have to rely problem. on the winning of playoff series. Yeah. We got to win one yeah. first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right and, now, and for the record, this is <laughs> this is the first time in my lifetime I have chosen the Leafs to win a, a Stanley Cup. So, uh, yeah. So even even in years past, where they were, you know, starting this resurgence, like I think the last time I felt this confident was in the Dougie Gilmore uh, years as a as a young kid. Uh, okay. Excited to see the the yeah, that era. So, but again, um, yeah, time will tell. yeah so hopefully for tyson's standpoint that does actually happen but you never know the playoffs are completely unpredictable and that's what the uh, joy of the stanley cup playoffs are so i think finally without further ado we are going to end this episode of the florida podcast we want to thank charlie o'connor for joining on sadly chris couldn't finish it he had to drop out but chris definitely sends his regards as well tyson thank you for joining us after like a, a hiatus of having been able to come on and then just Hopefully these playoffs are fun and we don't have to worry about anything. Hopefully the Flyers can find a way to figure out this offseason debacle because it's going to be a long offseason. It's going to be a so. very, very long one. It should be a busy one, though, so at least it'll be interesting. Hopefully. yeah. Ho- hopefully for the sanity of Flyers fans. So for for people that are still here, uh, where can uh, people go and follow you, Charlie, on Twitter or anywhere for your Flyers content? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so my Twitter handle is Charlie O underscore Con. So C O N N. 
Um, and I obviously write for the athletic, which is a, you know, subscription based website. So, um, you know, definitely would love it if you're, if you're not a subscriber to give it a shot and producing, you know, regular content, even in the off season, obviously in the season I'm writing a lot. So, uh, so yeah, if you're, you know, if you liked what you heard, if you're interested in, in reading some of my stuff, that's where you go, theathletic.com and subscribe. We always have some sort of, you know, deal going on. I'm not even sure what the deal is right now, but we always have something going on for new subscribers. So, uh, definitely would love it if you, uh, if you gave us a shot. Yeah, definitely go and check that out and definitely go check out the Florida podcast and, t- and the Painted Lines wherever they are. Check the Painted Lines out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, wherever they're at. Check out the Florida podcast here on Apple, Spotify. Definitely go give us a follow there on Instagram. Go follow our personal Twitter accounts, me for Amadeo Gracia 98, Quibel Tyson for Tyson. And for Chris underscore Chris Mayer, follow us on YouTube as well for me, TTP Sports. And for Chris, Flyers Fan Media 93. And for every Flyers fan that's here and that's listening so far, let's hope our sanities and prayers are answered and the Flyers have a very productive offseason. We thank Charlie once again for joining us here and hopefully we'll have him on in a future episode. But I think for this episode of the Florida Podcast, I'm your host, Amadeo Gracia, and we will see you next time.